My name is Bryce. I have a new life in Christ. I'm in recovery from fear of man, pride, low self-worth, and this past week, um, a lot of laziness, um, similar to what Travis was saying earlier. <clears throat> hey, y'all, it's good to be with you. If, you. if this is your first time, welcome. This is Regeneration. If you didn't know that this was Regen, you're still in the right spot, so stay. Um, we love to have you. Um, we've been talking through the book of Romans for the past, I think, about six weeks or so, and we've gone through chapter one through 11. Last week, we heard Chuck Adair, one of our coaches in the region ministry, talking about chapters nine through 11. And it's about God's faithfulness to salvation and saving you, and he has the power to do it, and he will continue to do it, and so we can trust him. And this week, we're talking about Romans 12. Here's the really important thing about Romans 12. In the first two verses of Romans 12, um, one and two, it essentially encompasses everything you need to know about what the rest of the book of Romans is going to be talking about. And so if you miss this tonight, if you don't understand what the first two verses of chapter 12 are saying in the book of Romans, you will not understand the rest of the book. Because the first two verses encompass everything that's been spoken about in the first 11 chapters. And so basically, um, what you need to know about chapter 12 is the gospel has the power to transform or it produces transformation. It produces transformation in the way that you see yourself. It produces transformation in the way you see others. And then it produces transformation in the way you see life in general. And that's really, really important to understand. So we're going to jump straight in. Chapter 12, the gospel produces transformation of the heart and mind. Verse 1, Paul says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. He says, I appeal to you, therefore. Like I was saying, he's, he's saying, in light of the first 11 chapters, I went into very, very, very deep depth to explain what the gospel is. In light of that, by the mercies of God, and he's talking about what is the mercy of God. The mercy of God is the gospel, is that while you were far from him in your brokenness, running from him, didn't even give light or thought to him, his mercy came after you and ransomed you and saved you from death. And he offers, to, that, offers that to you now, and he will always offer it to you so long as you come to him. Mercies of God. He says, because of the gospel, to present your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. And then he says, this is your spiritual worship. And in other translations, we also see that word spiritual translated as reasonable. Um, Because the truth about this is, is when you understand the gospel, when you receive it and you believe it and the Holy Spirit dwells within you and you know God's love for you and what he has done and what he's continuing to do in your life today, it makes complete and logical sense that you would give yourself over to God. Like, but without the gospel, if you don't understand God's love for you, for you to tell yourself, hey, I should give my body and my life as a living sacrifice to God, that would make no sense. No sense at all. I was just thinking about it earlier before I got up here. I was like, man, I remember like before I was saved, I lived a, a very, very opposite life. I, I didn't think about God very BC, if you will, before Christ. Um, didn't give thought to him and I thought nothing of him. And so if somebody would be like, hey, yeah, sacrifice your life to God, I'd be like, go ahead, bro. I'm going to go do this over here. Um, that was nothing I would have ever thought of. But now that you understand the gospel and you're growing in the truth of that, it becomes much more logical. Like, yes, I want to give my life over to him because he is the one who loves me above all and um, despite all that I've ever done. And then in verse 2, it says this. 
because of the gospel, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. The word conform here means to fashion one's mind and character to the pattern of another. Basically, what we're doing when we conform to something is we're mimicking it. Like we see something going on um, and we're like, oh yeah, or oftentimes we do it unconsciously. Like when you spend a lot of time with your friends, you start picking up um, mannerisms that they do, right? I talk a lot with my hands like this or like this. And I'm like, guys, listen, you gotta understand. And I see other people start doing it and they're like, bro, why do I do this? And I'm like, I don't know, I do it all the time. (laughs) But we pick up these mannerisms with the people that we spend our time around with unconsciously, but we also can do it consciously, like job expectations. It's easy to pick up patterns, job expectations. You go to your job day by day and you learn, hey, this is how I should act here in order to be acceptable, right? You do that in your friend groups. Um, you, go, you do it when you go back to home to your family, like your family acts a certain way. And so you conform to that pattern. But when you go, you know, you come back home, if you don't live with your parents, like you act a different way. And um, it's, it's really easy to do it. However, the most difficult place I see it done most often is right here in this room. Like you come into this room and you're looking for freedom from something. You wanna change your life. You know that the life that you've been living is not the life that you really want. And people, you've heard it. Um, You've heard it through the grapevine that if you go to region, you can find freedom from whatever it is um, from the life that you've been living. And so I'll see time and time again, people will come into this room and they do the book work every single day. They do the book work, they learn, okay, if I just talk about my problems, if I just say the bad stuff that I've done, and then like this guy prays for me, or this lady prays for me, then I'll be like free from it. If I can confess every time I do a bad thing, I'll just be free from it. It'll go away. And then you go through um, all of groundwork, you get your book signed off, and you go through the 12 steps. But the difficult thing is what you are doing is just conforming to a pattern that you're observing before you. You're just conforming because to conform takes nothing outside of your own will to complete. You can conform to any pattern you want. And the scripture right here in this verse, he says, don't conform to the world in the way that the world tells you to live your life, the way that the world tells you to think, but be transformed in the renewal of your mind. The definition of transform here is to change the form or nature and or character of, and in this case, to change the nature of your mind. Don't conform to a pattern, don't mimic something, but be transformed, transform the nature of your mind. Um, the word used here is metamorpho in the Greek. I'm, I'm not a Greek expert, I don't speak that language, but it sounds a lot like metamorphosis. Um, and it's used only four times in the, in the New Testament. Um, I heard somebody laugh at my, <laughs> at my pronunciation, I'm sorry. <laughs> Um, but it's used only four times in the New Testament. And two times it happens in the gospel and two times in the epistles. Once we see here in Romans chapter 12, the second time in the New Testament, we see it is 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. But two prior to that, we see it in the same account happening. And it has to do with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, where Jesus transforms and reveals his true glory to the men on that mountain. And God speaks. 
and they're blinded, they're scared because his glory is so great. He's revealing his true holiness to them. And what the scripture says about us when it, describes, when it uses this word metamorpho in regards to us is that it's talking about our transformation into the image of the son. Now, how do you have transformation into something divine? You need divine intervention. So you can, anybody can form, but no one can transform unless God intervenes, and he has intervened through the gospel. The gospel has the power to transform you. The spirit of God, because of the gospel, has the power to transform you. It's similar to a butterfly when he's a caterpillar, well, when it is a caterpillar, it's a caterpillar that becomes a butterfly. Um, it completely changes its, the nature of what it is. It's got the little prickly feet, and it does, it does a thing, and it crawls on the trees, and then it becomes a beautiful butterfly, and then flies away. Um, <laughs> completely changes its function in the way that it is. It was something that was fairly like unattractive and like weird, some people like bugs, but then it becomes this beautiful thing that is attractive and serves this great purpose to us. We get to gaze upon its beauty. Um, but listen, the point of that is, is you can't transform yourself, only God can. Only God can. And how you allow him to is you surrender to him. The gospel is the essential ingredient to transformation. It's this essential ingredient, ingredient to transformation of the nature of your mind. You cannot change the nature of your mind by conforming to a pattern. Only God, by his divine intervening, can do that. So when you do transform your mind, he says this, that by testing, once your mind is being transformed to see the world through the lens of the gospel and understanding the truth of God, that by testing, you will then begin to discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Like when you understand the gospel and it's here and the Holy Spirit is in you and you're like, Lord, help me to see the truth of the gospel in every scenario I am in. And when you begin to do that, you begin to see everything the way you're supposed to see it. Because before we were blind to who God was, but through the gospel, through the power of the spirit, we see the truth of the scenarios that are happening. And it flips everything on its head. With the gospel in mind, you can see the world differently, everything, like um, no matter what it is. And most pertinently, what he begins to talk about is it changes the view of how you see yourself. Um, he says this in verse three. For by grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to, but to think with sober judgment. When you, be, when you understand the gospel, it produces humility in your heart. You have not earned or gotten anything by your own willpower because the truth is that everything that is yours has been given to you by God down to the life and the breath that you are breathing right now. And when you understand that, you begin to say, well, I guess really like this life isn't about me because what causes us to be, look inward is this missing void, this desire to be accepted or this placement or this security and significant. But when that's filled, you are no longer seeking to gain honor or acceptance or how do I get mine? You, be, you begin to function out of this overflow of the truth of the gospel, the love of God. And with that in mind, thinking about who you are, it's like you know, since you no longer have to fight for honor, you can then begin to look outward 
at those around you. You finally begin to stop navel-gazing so much that I know as much. Hey, listen, I, I struggle with fi- fear of man, and fear of man is basically just looking at yourself too much from like an introspective sense and caring about too much what that is. It's just so exhausting. It's so exhausting. And what I forget to do oftentimes is ask God to reveal the gospel to me in the moment because in the midst of my fear of man. But when he does, and when I remember to do it, when I remember to surrender to it, I stop feeling so exhausted because I don't have to look at myself and try to figure out how to bind myself up so I can be okay. I can actually just function out of an overflow of God's love for me. That's how it changes your view of yourself on the ground. Then he goes to talking about, hey, well, what does that look like in the way that we view the people around us? He says this in verse four and five. For as in one body, one, we have many members, like your arm, your hand, your fingers, legs, and the members do not, have all, do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Somebody, I think Peter says that like Paul's kind of hard to understand, which is kind of funny. It's like the Bible says that that guy was hard to understand when he's writing. Um, but he's saying this, is that we, when we come to um, saving faith in Christ, we are no longer a person, but we become a, we become a people. In a spiritual sense, you are resurrected into the family of God. And that's not just me, that's all of us who here who um, have faith in Christ as our Lord and Savior. And in a spiritual sense, we are more one than we could probably ever think or imagine. But we all serve an individual role because God has created us not to um, be self-seeking, but to be serving of others. The gospel, when you rightly understand it, produces active unity amongst his people. Because you can function over the overflow, you can care for the people around you. Um, And he says, individually, he's created us with unique um, aspects or gifts in order that we would serve and love the people around us. Verse six says, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Like, of course, because of the gospel, um, there's this love in me that draws me to move forward towards other people to care for them. And he says that the way you care, the way you serve, the way you build up other people around you has been uniquely given to you by me. And he uses some examples in verses, this latter half of verse six and seven. He talks about, hey, in the teaching, if you have the teaching gift, teach. He says, if you have the exhorting gift or encouraging gift, um, exhort well. Um, encouragement, if you encourage, encourage well. Serve, serve people well. And he even uses mercy. Like if you have the gift of mercy and you have compassion on people, do it with cheerfulness. Um, Love people well. Every single one of us in this room have a gift that God has uniquely given to you. It's really easy, and for myself for a long time, and even now, I fall into the trap of like, I just don't know if, truthfully, I just don't know if God wants to use me or can use me. Like, I I just sit, like, I think earlier today, I was sitting in my office, and I'm like, all right, well, I got to do this thing. And I'm like, you know what, maybe I should quit. (laughs) That's actually straight up true. I'm just being honest. I actually thought that today. Anyways, I love my job. Um, (laughs) So if you're here and you're believing that, it's not true. Um, It is the lie of the enemy. It is the lie and scheme of Satan to take you off of what God's redemptive plan in the world is and to put you out. He may not be able to take your salvation, but he may be able to take the joy of life that God is offering you. 
And because God's joy in life, in, in what it looks like for you, is to use you, you can trust that no matter what it is, no matter the scenario, God has me here for a reason, and he has uniquely placed me here in a way that I can serve. So I would say, ask yourself what it is. You may be like, okay, Bryce, well, then how do I know if I can teach or if I can exhort or serve or have mercy or whatever it is? A great question to ask yourself is, ask the people around you who know, know you the best what they think or how they think God has gifted you. How has God, you know, say, I ask my team, my friends, like, hey, what do you think um, makes sense for me? Like, if I'm going to be doing this thing, um, what do you think, what are the top three things you think makes most sense for me to serve God and serve his people? And then they will help you um, understand that and do that. Um, God made you, God made to you to use you who, for, whoa, what the heck, I'm reading this thing. <laughs> Anyways. What I was actually going for here, in Romans 6, the scripture says that you are no longer used as an instrument for um, brokenness and sin, but an instrument of righteousness. Your body, uniquely designed by God, every single one of you, is used for an instrument of righteousness if you are in Christ. The world will, will tell you, because you've grown up in it, and this is the only thing you've been able to see, the world will tell you to do everything for yourself, serve yourself, um, take care of yourself, get your own, but because of the gospel, you now give yourself to others and it's glorious, and it's good, and it's so joyful. Then Paul goes on to explain what the marks of the gospel transformation are in the life of a believer. He's like basically saying like, okay, in the world, as you navigate it, um, this is what it looks like to be marked with the gospel. This is what it looks like to be marked with the gospel, and he starts with one thing, and he says, first and foremost, the first and foremost important thing or greatest mark of the believer is love is love. He says it in verse nine, he says, let love be genuine. Let it be genuine. Here's the reality. It's really hard for me to love people sometimes. That's true, right? We all know, we all got siblings, we got parents, we got that annoying, you know, neighbor or not neighbor, like roommate that leaves the dishes in the thing and you're like, what the heck? Um, <laughs> get salty about it. And it's really hard to love them like, genuinely because I don't think it's genuine love to be really angry and be frustrated with somebody and then like pretend to be like, oh yeah, thanks, it's okay, no worry, don't worry about it. Um, that's not very genuine love. The tr but when you believe in the gospel, as in those moments when you surrender to God and you say, Lord, I don't love this person right now, but I know that your gospel tells me to have love for them, so will you help me? that genuine compassion that begins to overflow as you're beginning to be transformed in the renewal of your mind grows and grows throughout your whole life. That's why he says be transformed in the renewal of your mind. It's present, it's active, it's continuing to happen throughout your whole life. You don't just wake up and you're, just, and you're glorified. Jesus says that you will be glorified one day in heaven, but as for now, from one degree of glory to another, you're being sanctified. And that as you're being more sanctified, more love should become normative for you. So let love be genuine. Don't mask it. Ask God to produce it in your heart. Gospel-informed minds by the Spirit begin to love with authentic, real, and true love. Oh, all the more. Gospel-producing love, however, is foreign to this world. It's foreign. But, is the, but it is the way of the Christian life. The gospel-informed love or produced love is really, really, really foreign to this world in the way that you probably grew up, but it is the way of the Christian life. The gospel kingdom or Christian life, like as you enter into the family of God, 
literally flips the narrative of the way that the world works on its head. Like everything seems backwards. The Christian life does the exact opposite of what the world would probably tell you to do in any scenario. Here's some examples. Um, and this is in the like, latter half of, the, of chapter 12. <clears throat> There's four scenarios, and please go read it. It says um, in verse 14, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Pay, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all, no matter who it is. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Do not be overcome by evil. But you, by the power of the Spirit, overcome evil with good. This is the gospel life. It's completely backwards. The world will tell you, hey, if somebody hurts you, what you need to do is you need to buck up and go and hurt them back to teach them a lesson so they'll never do it again. Hey, if somebody harms you emotionally, what you need to do is self-protect and drive them out of your life so that they'll never have the chance to hurt you again. My parents hurt me, and so I'll never let anybody hurt me again, so I need to drive them out. I need to harm them before they harm me. Somebody, um, whatever the scenario it is, the world tells us this makes sense. Like, this is how I live life. This is how I survive. But that in the gospel kingdom, in the way in which the world works truly because of the gospel and what God is doing it by the power of the spirit, that is no longer the way you live your life. It no longer has to be. I fall, I fall victim to believing the world and mimicking the patterns of the world often. Like I didn't say earlier, but right now I'm recovering from self-protection from people in my life, driving them out because I can't trust them. But that's not the way that the kingdom works. I don't have to trust them because God is with me and for me. So here's the, here's the truth about that. The gospel, the truth of the gospel, when you begin to see the world through the lens of it, it's, the gospel is very foreign to your flesh. Like it's probably not gonna be your first reaction that when you're sitting in your room and your roommate walks in and they start yelling at you that you're gonna be like, oh, it's okay, I love you. And you like give them a hug, you know? That's probably not your like first reaction. Um, and that's okay. Because like I said, the gospel is transforming you in the renewal of your mind. It's active. There's grace for the times you don't meet up and you're not loving. That's what the gospel's for. It's probably, it's going to be foreign. It's not going to be your natural response, but it is a process and you can take heart because just like we talked about in chapters 9 through 11, God is faithful and he will continue to save you. He will continue to change you in this type of transformation. By the Spirit, because of the gospel, brings freedom and that's the freedom you're here looking for. That type of transformation that you're looking for, that freedom that brought you into this room, is not done by conforming to the patterns of this world or doing region, but believing in the gospel and surrendering, surrendering to God and allowing him to transform your life forever. And there's joy and peace and goodness in all of those things. So tonight we're going to hear a story, a good friend of ours, Brad, um, in the way in which God has transformed his life through the gospel. So give him a hand as he comes up.